Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are continuing our series in the promises of God, and the reason that we've been looking at the promises of God is because we need something to hold on to in the midst of this crazy time where everything is changing. And thank God that his promises never change. And so we are looking at the promises of God, but we only have this week and next week. We only have two more weeks. And over these next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the promises of God in the sacraments. The promises of God in the sacraments. Uh, Sacraments sounds like the word sacred. The sacred things of God. And in the New Testament, we find out that there are two sacraments. There is the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Now, these things are, we could say, rituals, but they're not empty rituals. They're not even things that we came up with ourselves. Both of these things were commanded or ordained or instituted by Jesus himself for the church. And so in Matthew 28, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, We have these words. If you can go to the next slide. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. There it is, the first sacrament of baptism commanded by Jesus. But then if we go to 1 Corinthians 11, we see that Paul writes this. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper and said, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As we look at these last two weeks, the promises in the sacraments for us as God's people, today we're going to be looking specifically at the promises in baptism. The promises in baptism. I don't know if you've had a specific Christian that has impacted you. I've had a lot of Christians that the way they lived their life or the things that they've believed or the way that that they've followed Jesus has impacted me. And there was one particular Christian who I knew probably 17 years ago who had a deep impact on me. And her name was Jale. Her name was Jale. And Jale was from the country of Iran. And she had moved to the United States with her husband for work. They had immigrated here. And I got to know Jale because I was part of a church and we had this large Sunday school class. And someone from our Sunday school class knew Jale from work and invited her to come to church. Now this was a big deal because Jale and her family had come from a Muslim background. And so to even enter into a Christian church was a big deal for her. But as Jale came and 
came to our Sunday school class and came back the next week and then came back the next week, something really incredible happened as she began to understand what the Bible was saying. We were talking a lot about the doctrine of God choosing his people. We were talking about how God sets his affection on people, how through Jesus Christ, people can have complete assurance that God is their father, that that he loves them, that his promises are for them. Now, for Jale, this was something completely new. In her background, she had not had that assurance with God. She had been taught that while God is just and God is merciful, there's not really a way to know which one he will pick when it comes to you. And so when she began to hear that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that God sets his affections on people, whether they, whether they choose or not, when, when people repent and believe, they become God's children, and nothing can change that, her heart became alive. Her heart came alive to the good news of Jesus. And Jale wanted to become a Christian. Jale wanted to follow Jesus. Now, for her, this was no small deal. This was no small deal. This was a big risk. In one particular Sunday in our Sunday school class, she got up in front of the cl- class to confess her faith in Jesus, to say, I'm going to follow Jesus now. And the pastor asked her, well, what does that cost you? And Jale said, If my husband finds out that I am now a Christian, there is a good chance that he will divorce me. There's a good chance that he will divorce me. And the pastor said, well, what happens then? And Jale said, well, if he divorces me, I will lose my status as an immigrant in this country, and I will be deported uh, back to Iran pastor said, well, what happens if you are deported back to Iran? And Jale said, well, if I, if I have to go back to Iran, my family will know why. They'll get word. They'll know it's because I became a Christian. They'll know it's because my husband divorced me. They'll know that I was deported. And when I land on the ground in Iran, Iran I will not be welcomed with open arms. I will be shunned and shamed and will no longer be part of my family. And there is a chance that I could end up going to prison or something worse. And the pastor looked at her and said, Jale, why do you want to become a Christian when so much is at stake? And Jale said, when I heard about God choosing me through Jesus, when I heard about God setting his affection on me, even though I don't deserve it, when I heard about God forgiving me because of the cross and that nothing can separate me from him, nothing can separate me from his love, I just say, yes! And of course, all of us in the Sunday school class, there's not a, there's not a dry eye in the seats because we saw how much it cost her to become a Christian. But what was interesting for Jale, it wasn't about the cost so much as it was about God's commitment to her, as it was about God's promises to her. I mean, she was taking a huge risk in becoming 
a Christian. Literally, it could cost her her life. But what outweighed that was God's commitment, his promises, his love, his affection that he was setting on her. So just a couple weeks later, in front of the whole church, Jale got on stage to be baptized in front of hundreds of people. And Jale, in front of all those people, was asked the membership questions, the very same membership questions that you've been asked if you join this church. And as she answered each question, tears began to run down her eye. Underneath those tears was a smile. And I know why that smile was there. As much as this was going to cost Jale something, she realized that what was about to happen in her baptism was, yes, she is going public with her faith, but even more than that, she was being marked by the promises of God. She was being marked in her baptism by the promises of God. While her baptism in front of all those people was a statement to others, she realized that her being baptized was God's statement to her. That all his promises were for her. He was utterly committed to her. He would not stop loving her. Yes, she was making her faith public, but God was making his promises to her public. And I believe that's why she was smiling. I believe that's why she was smiling that morning. It makes us think about baptism. What, what is baptism? What, what does it mean? We often talk about baptism as the day that we go public with our commitment to Jesus in front of everybody else. That's true. Uh, but what we, what we don't often talk about is, is that our baptism is also about God going public with his promises to us as his people where we stand in front of everyone else and we are marked by God. Marked by his love, marked by his commitment, marked by his promises. That is what a sacrament is. A sacrament is promises made visible. God has always been a God who has wanted to make his promises visible. When the earth became so sinful that God got sick of seeing all the sin, he brought a flood to destroy the earth, except he saved Noah. And Noah and his family in the ark were saved, and then once the waters were subdued, Noah came out of the ark, and God said, I will never destroy the earth again with a flood. But he didn't just say it. He put a visible promise in the sky, the rainbow. The rainbow to remind Noah that God had made a promise and he would keep it. It was a visible promise. When Israel had spent 400 years in oppression in Egypt, and God had brought plague after plague against Egypt so that Pharaoh would let Moses' people go, the final plague was that he was going to bring judgment over Egypt and take the lives of every firstborn people, except for Israel, he would spare Israel. And the visible sign of that promise was they were to take a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost of their house so that the angel of death would pass by. 
God had made a promise that he would not take their firstborn, but there was a visible sign of that promise that hung over their door. And Israel was rescued and freed. Abraham, Abraham was chosen by God. He would be the one that would have this people that would grow throughout the earth and that would bless the earth and that would teach uh, the rest of civilization how to live by righteousness and justice. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But all God's promises were made visible to Abraham through the mark of circumcision. In other words, God said, this is what I'm going to do, but I'm going to put my mark on you so that you know you are my people. God made his promises visible yet again. Paul talks about that mark of circumcision in Romans 4, verse 11, and he talks about it in this way of a sign and a seal. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. That word sign means that it is a sign of a spiritual reality. In other words, it is something that you can see, but it has a deep spiritual meaning in it. Not from the person to God, but from God to the person. And when Paul writes about a seal, by seal he means a promise that is pledged. In ancient days, kings would make a decree, and they would write out the decree. And at the bottom of that decree, they would drip hot wax on it. And they would take their ring that had their emblem on it, and they would place their seal on that decree to guarantee the promise. And what Paul is saying is that in circumcision, in this visible sign, it is a sign and seal of what God had promised Abraham. Maybe the closest thing that we have to this is the wedding ring. Now, somewhere in quarantine and isolation, my wedding ring has gone missing. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if one of my children moved it, but I have not been able to find it. Now, I am still married, even though I cannot find my wedding ring. But my wedding ring is a sign and seal that I am married to my wife. First of all, it's a sign because when you see a ring on my finger, you know what? I'm taken. There's a reality there when you see that ring that that person is not on the market. But the wedding ring is also a seal of something. In other words, when my wife placed that ring on my finger, it was a seal of Till death do us part. She had made promises to me and put the ring on my finger as a seal of that promise. God is all about signs and seals, making his promises visible. And in Colossians 2, we see that the spiritual realities of circumcision are equated with the spiritual realities of baptism. Paul writes, you were also circumcised in Jesus, in him, with a circumcision not done by hands, but by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. In other words, Jesus was doing an inward work on your heart. But he equates that to baptism. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. The point is that for Abraham, 
that visible promise was circumcision. But for those of us in the New Testament church, the sign and seal, the visible promise is baptism. But in baptism, what is God promising? What is it a sign of? What is it is a seal of what he is pledging? Here's a real honest question. Do you know? Do you know what God has promised you in your baptism? Do you know? Because you're meant to not just experience baptism, but to look back on baptism and remember that it is a sign and seal of what God has committed to you. First of all, baptism is a promise of cleansing. It is a promise of cleansing. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. When John the baptizer, John the Baptist comes on the scene, he comes baptizing people in the Jordan River. And John had this role in God's story, and his role was to get people ready for the Messiah. And so his baptism was one of preparation and repentance. He was trying to get people's attention and say, listen, the Messiah is about to come and you need to be ready and you're not ready. So what you need to do is do a 180 degrees and turn and wait for God to do the thing that he is going to do, which was send the Messiah. But John always talked about his baptism in a way where it was like, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to get baptized in the Jordan River, but there's a better baptism coming because there's a better baptizer who's coming. My baptism is just to get you ready for the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The reason I'm here is I want you to get baptized so you turn to God and wait for God to do something, but the one who's coming will put God in you through his baptism. And then that one shows up. That one shows up to get baptized at the Jordan River. Jesus Christ shows up to be baptized, and John is befuddled. Why do you, Jesus, need to get baptized? This is a baptism for repentance of sins, and you're not a sinner. But Jesus is baptized because he wants to identify with sinners like us, even though he's sinless. But then Jesus is baptized, and the heavens suddenly open for him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, right there, when Jesus undergoes John's baptism, he comes up out of the water and he himself is baptized in the Spirit. And that is the same baptism that you and I have. If you know Jesus Christ, you have been baptized through him with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has poured out the Spirit on us. In fact, that that is what much of the longing of the Scriptures is for. All the way back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel longed for this time when there would be a baptism of the Spirit. If you can put up the Ezekiel text, the prophecy said, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will clean you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. 
I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel was longing for this time when the Holy Spirit would be poured out and our hearts would be cleansed before God because Jesus was the one who baptizes with the Spirit. Paul picks up on this imagery in the book of Titus. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice how much the Holy Spirit is paralleled with this imagery of water and cleansing. And that is a sign of the spiritual reality that if you are in Christ, you have been cleansed by Christ of your sins. You have a new heart through what the Spirit has done for you. God wants you to remember your baptism and remember that through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, He has changed you. He has forgiven you. He has given you a new heart. One of the things I always find funny when Christians say is they say this. They'll see some sin in their heart and they go, I just need a new heart. Well, your baptism tells you you already got a new heart. And the new heart in you is the heart that hates the sin. And the reason that you loathe the sin in your heart is because you have a new heart that wants to follow God. And your baptism is there to remind you that you have been cleansed. You have been given a new heart. So as you look back on your baptism, remember that it symbolizes, it's God's promise to you, that before him, you have been cleansed of your sin. You have been given a new heart through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But also, you have been given a new identity. Your baptism is also a promise of your identity. Now, we get so familiar with what happens in a baptism that we lose the significance of it. But when we baptize someone, we say, we baptize you in the name of the... In the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one that told us to do that. It's not just a formula. It's not just something nice we say. Now, we don't really understand this idea in our culture because we don't have anything that's very close to this. But when you took on the name of someone else, it was very significant. The closest thing we have to it would be when a couple is married and someone takes the other person's last name. Uh, but this is much more significant because God is placing his name on you in the baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That you are welcomed as a sinful human being to be in fellowship with the righteous, holy Trinity. The God of peace, the three-in-one God who has forever existed and been in harmony with each other, who is full of joy and delight and righteousness and holiness, that God places his name on you because you belong to him. And your identity is in him. It's in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So just think about this for a minute. How much of our lives do we spend going, who am I? What makes me significant? What makes me worthy? 
What makes me unique? How will I ever deal with my past flaws and my past shame? Uh, All those questions are questions about our identity. And I would argue that most of us are out there trying to make a name for ourselves or trying to figure out who we are, trying to secure some sort of identity for ourselves. So often we are so focused on securing who we are that we never rest in the promise of whose you are. We never rest in the promise of whose we are. When God places his name on you in baptism, it's not because he's like, let's do three things. Uh, Okay, we'll put them in water and let's just say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, God is giving you his identity. He is saying, you belong to me. All your flaws, all your sins, all your shame, I am your God and you are my child. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is the promise of identity. As you live your life, don't be so focused on securing who you are that you forget to rest in the promise of whose you are. That promise in baptism. But also don't forget the promise of belonging. In 1 Corinthians 12, which we read last week, it says, for we were all baptized by one spirit. Baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. One of the things I believe that the scripture is teaching us here is that when you are baptized, it's not just that you belong to God. It's that it is your initiation in belonging to each other. Yes, you individually were baptized and now become a fam, part of a family where everyone else is individually baptized and therefore become the body of Christ together. This is one of the reasons that we don't believe that baptism is like some private individual ceremony. We believe it is a family celebration. It is a family celebration. And I fear in our Western culture that we've made baptism about this individualistic statement of one of the things that I'm declaring from here on out, and that's, there's part of that that's good, actually, right? I'm, I'm, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Amen. But we've missed in that that our baptism is much like the public adoption ceremony of God into his family in the body of Christ. I think one of the troubling trends in the Western church can just be how easy it is to get baptized disconnected from the body of Christ. Disconnected from the body of Christ. So you can sign up to go get baptized without ever having questions asked about whether you really believe in Jesus and without any follow-up whether you're actually going to walk with other followers of Jesus. And look, we're not perfect here by any means. But part of what baptism means is that we belong to God and we are marked as belonging to each other. We belong to each other. This is one of the reasons why we do believe in baptizing infants. We do believe in baptizing infants. Because we ask the question, do they belong to this church family or, or don't they? I mean, throughout history, God has chosen to work in the midst of families and in the midst of households. 
And many people who come from a Roman Catholic background, that's not anything new for them. If you come from a Roman Catholic background, baptizing an infant just seems like part of what's natural. If you've come out of a Roman Catholic background, you can be like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Uh, Baptizing babies is dangerous because they're never forced to this place of do they actually believe in Jesus. And I understand both of those positions. Uh, but, But as we look at the scripture, as we look at the Old Testament, children were invited to not only participate in Passover, but the mark of God was given to them within the first week of their birth. Circumcision, the sign and seal of the covenant of God, was placed on these children long before they could believe because the promises of God were for them. The promises of God were for them, and they belonged to the community. They belonged to the community. That's one of the reasons why in church, here at New City, we don't treat our children as if they're not Christians. Let me explain what I mean. If, if our kids aren't Christians, then the main thing that we need to be telling them every, every week is like, hey, listen, you're at odds with God because of your sin. You need to repent and believe. But we don't say that. We say the Lord loves you. You belong to the Lord. You're singing to the Lord? Go ahead. Sing. We raise them as if they are Christians. Now, we know that they do not yet believe. We know that they have not yet expressed saving faith in Christ, but we don't believe that that's what baptism is necessarily all about. Baptism is about the mark of God for them, the promises of God on them. And we raise them in light of that mark to make the faith their own. My hope for the children in this church is that every single one of them will not remember the day that they started to believe. They just go, I've always believed that Jesus is my Savior. I've always believed that I needed to repent and believe in Christ. I don't remember the day that, that, it, that it just sort of clicked in my heart. It's just always been there. Now, when kids do make a, a profession of faith, when it does actually kind of like go, oh, I, I want to be a Christian, we, we do bring them up on stage and we say, okay, you've been marked by God in your infancy. Now make that faith public. And I'd love to see more kids do that as well. And the reason that we approach it that way isn't because we think it's tradition. We actually think this is biblical. So for 2,000 years, the people of God, their children, were marked with the sign of God's promise circumcision. And then in in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the first Christian sermon. Preaches the first Christian sermon, uh, and people are just convicted. They're convicted, and they realize they need to repent. And Peter says this, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children. Now you have to understand if you were a first century Jew after 2,000 years of marking your children with the promise and then understanding that God has worked through Jesus Christ, the new covenant is now active. Peter, what do we do? Repent and believe. The Holy Spirit is for you. The promise is for you and your children. 
As a first century Jew, the natural thing that they would have done would be like, let's baptize our babies too. Let's baptize our whole households. But Peter doesn't correct that. Peter doesn't correct that because he uses the very same language here that's used of circumcision in the Old Testament. And so we don't believe that we're just making something up. We believe that it's deeply biblical that whole households are marked with the promises of God in baptism. That children are marked by God's promise and that we raise them to make that faith their own. Ultimately, here's where we're going. Baptism isn't first and foremost something that you do. Baptism is first and foremost something that is done to you. It's something that you submit to. It is receiving the wedding ring rather than putting the wedding ring on. It is submitting to the promises of God. Have you received it? Have you received that mark of God's promises on you? I I hope that as every person that you see is baptized, it brings fondness to your heart of the commitment that God has made to you. My wife and I were at a wedding a couple years ago, uh, some close family friends, and one of my good friends was preaching the sermon. He just preached this phenomenal sermon. And I told him, I just said, listen, I, I cannot do any better than that. So just send me that sermon, and I'm going to preach that at every wedding that I do from here on out. But one of the amazing things is he rooted it in God's commitment and how that strengthens the commitment of the people making vows. And there was something that happened in my own heart and everyone who was there as we watched that marriage ceremony and we go, oh, the promises. The promises that this couple's making to each other. Oh, that strengthens my own heart and my vows to my wife, though I made them years ago. And when we watch other people's baptism, it's meant to do the same thing for us and to remind us of God's promise and commitment to us. So remember your baptism. Remind your children of their baptism. And if you have not received baptism, but you want to walk with Christ, but you want to repent and believe, why wait? Why wait? We'd love to walk with you and let God mark you. My hope is that we can baptize many, many more people in this church and to come with that visible picture, with that sign and seal, of God's promises. I lost touch with John. It was probably 17 years ago that I lost touch with her after she made such a risky commitment to Christ, but after she stood on stage, tears coming down her eye. I I looked her up on Facebook the other day, and I just couldn't find her, couldn't find her. Talked with a pastor that was her pastor and my pastor at that time. You ever, ever know what happened to Jolly? He said, I've lost touch with her. And I just felt heavy. I felt saddened. What, what happened to Jolly? You know, did her husband find out about her commitment to Christ and did revoke his wedding vows and remove the sign of his pledge, that ring from her finger? Did the United States withdraw their commitment to her? And was she deported back to Iran? When she arrived, or if she arrived, did her family shun her and say, you no longer 
belong to us. I'm saddened because I don't know where she is and I don't know what happened. But in all that, I remember that smile of Jaleg on the stage as she was being baptized. In the midst of the tears, I remember her smile. Her smile because even if her husband revokes his commitment, God has publicly committed himself to her. Even if she loses her U.S. identity and is deported, she does not lose her identity in God because God has marked her with water and said, you are my child. Even if her family says, we shun you, you do not belong. Jale has been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. She belongs to God. She has been marked by his promises. And even in the midst of the heaviness of not knowing what happened to her, those promises will smiled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that we have been marked with your love, with your commitment, with your promises. And we do pray for this dear sister Jale, wherever she is right now, you know where she is. You have given her your promises. We pray that you would protect her, that you would strengthen her faith even as she thinks back to her baptism. And Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen our faith as we think back to our baptism. Lord, we ask that many more people might receive the sign of your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.